And I, I want to start off by, by singing this worship song. And I know we, we've gone through worship and we've done the choir, but it is a, a great song. It is a simple song. And I believe that as you see and hear the word of the Lord, that you'll understand the song better. And then we'll sing it again at the end because I, I'm going to make a promise to you. And I want you to, uh, in turn, make a promise to me. So if you're not too comfortable where you're sitting, if you can stand, this song is called I Love You. And um, it's a very simple chorus. And I want you to worship with us as we sing together. We love you, Jesus. I'll do what you want me to do. And I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go, follow you all the way. See, it's a real simple worship song. Sing with me. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll sing, I'll say what you want me to do. Lead me, Lord, and I'll simple. It just says, I love you. Let this be your word to the Lord. Sing this with me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yes, I love you. I love you. I love you. Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. With all of my heart. I love you, Jesus. Come on, raise your hand and tell them, I love you, 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 Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you, all of my heart, and I'll do. I'll say what you want me to say. Yes, God. I'll go where you want me to go. Follow you all the way. If you mean that, can you applaud them one more time? Amen. As you're seated, turn to somebody and say, Famous Failures. It's good to see that nobody ran for the doors when they found out that Pastor Allen wouldn't be here this morning. So I appreciate you staying in your seat. I think that you'll be blessed today. Uh, I'm going to be very, very open and honest and transparent with you throughout this entire message. And I'm going to start off by asking you this question. What is one thing that you cannot do? What's one thing that you are not able to accomplish or to achieve? You know, I know that all of, us, all of us in here this morning are probably very proficient at just about everything in life, but there's got to be something that you just can't do. 
Something that you've tried at and you failed at or you have uh, fallen flat on your face. Maybe it's something like uh, public speaking. That's a difficult one for many people. Or perhaps something like bungee jumping. Well, if you fell at bungee jumping, you'll be dead. So let's, that's not a good one. Maybe you went to dinner and you didn't know which fork to use for your salad. Yeah, you failed at it. And don't, don't answer me by saying, what do you mean there's two forks for your salad? You guys have a little more class than that. There has to be something in your life that, that you're not good at, something that, that you fail at. And, and for me, here's a couple of things. One is cleaning. I'm not very good at cleaning. As a matter of fact, 2008, my New Year's resolution is to allow Kimberly to do all of the household chores just because I'm so bad at cleaning. Um, no, more seriously, though, uh, drawing. I am absolutely terrible at drawing. My stick men don't even look like stick men. My artwork looks like something a kindergartner should have done. You know, it is that bad. Is anybody not good at drawing as well? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I just I don't look like the only one who has no skills whatsoever at drawing. Um, probably one of the things that I'm terrible at is a, and you may laugh at this, but you have stuff in your closet as well. But I was a garbage man for one summer, and I was absolutely a terrible garbage man. I guarantee you this, I was the cleanest garbage man that you ever met. I hated how it looked. I hated how it felt. I hated how it smelled. And when I had to taste it, I, I just quit. I'm just kidding. You guys with me, right? I was a terrible gar- garbage man. The other thing that I'm absolutely terrible at that I cannot do is construction. I am terrible at construction. It is the probably number one thing that I fell at most, most often. As a matter of fact, I wrote a little poem when I was preparing this message about how bad I am at construction. It goes like this. I can't paint. I can't saw. I can't hammer. And that ain't all. I can't drill. I build no petitions. The only thing I can do, it's called demolition. Yeah. Demolition. That's about when it comes to construction. That's about the only thing I can do is demolition. As a matter of fact, I'm so bad at construction and things that, you know, that come to uh, working with my hands. The other day, Kimberly was doing a really good job. She was out saving me money at this place called Kirkland's. It was amazing how much money she was able to save me. And she came home with these two candle wall sconces. Everybody know what I'm talking about. These real pretty wall sconces. And I knew and realized that I'm not good with, when it comes to stuff like this. When the very first thing she said to me is, who do I need to call to hang these things up, you know? And I looked at her and I was like, are you serious? Call your mom. She's really good, you know? These are just some things that I, I am not good at. But there has to be something in your life. As a matter of fact, raise your hand if you have ever in your lifetime tried something and you have failed miserably. Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Hands all around. How about in 2007, you have tried something and you have failed miserably? Uh, raise your hand this past year. Okay, me too. I want you to watch this video, and this video is called Famous Failures. I think you'll enjoy it, so check it out. Dismissed from drama school with a note that read, Wasting her time, she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Turned down by the Decca recording company who said, We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. A failed soldier, farmer, and real estate agent. At 38 years old, he went to work for his father as a handyman. Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. A teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything, and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. His fiance died, he failed in business twice, he had a nervous breakdown, and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived. 
How many of you know that life equals risk? How many of you know that? Some of these famous failures were surprising to me, and maybe to you as well. You may have heard of a few, but um, some of the others you may not have realized. Did you ever think that maybe for these people in the video, those early failures helped to mold these people to be successful? You know, uh, here's what some of you are thinking. So you're talking to me about famous failures, and you show me a video, and that's all you've got. And then you think, God, please send Pastor Allen back quickly. You're right. I can't justify the challenges and the struggles and the circumstances that some of these people in the video faced. So I want to bring them to life. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you the 16th president of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here, dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, can you put your hands together for Mr. Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln received no more than five years of formal education throughout his lifetime. When he grew up, he joined politics, and he had 12 major failures, including eight defeated elections before he was eventually elected the 16th president of the United States of America. In the video, you saw, and I'll repeat it, that his fiancée died, he failed in business endeavors twice, and he had a nervous breakdown. This is the famous failure of Abraham Lincoln. 
Many of you, like me, are sports fans, and you might recognize these top ten plays by a man named Michael Jordan. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Jordan. By acclamation, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. He's a phenomenal athlete with a unique, unique combination of grace, speed, power, artistry, improvisational ability, and an unquenchable competitive spirit. He has a competitive desire to win and to be the best. Jordan single-handedly redefined the NBA superstar. However, before joining the NBA, Jordan was just an ordinary person, so ordinary that he was cut from his high school basketball team because of his lack of skill. This is the famous failure of Michael Jordan. Now, I need you guys not to be so holy and spiritual because I'm about to introduce to you the Beatles...
ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. In 1962, the Deco Recording Company turned down the opportunity to work with these four handsome young men. Uh, Their reasoning, we don't like their sound, and groups of guitars are on their way out. Of course, the Beatles turned that imminent failure into prominent success. Here are some stats on the Beatles. The Beatles have had 14 number one albums, 17 top ten albums, 20 number one singles, 32 top 10 singles, and they have sold over 166 million albums in the United States alone. This is the famous failure of the Beatles. Now, possibly my favorite and yours as well. You remember her from the favorite show, I Love Lucy, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Lucille Ball. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Miss Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball, hi. I'm not Ricky. Don't wink at me. Lucille Ball enrolled in the John Murray Anderson School for the uh, Dramatic Arts in 1927. However, she was overshadowed by a classmate, and you may know the name of Betty Davis. After being told that she had no future at all as a performer, she returned home. She was once also fired from her job at an ice cream store because she kept forgetting to put bananas in the banana split. In 1971, Lucille Ball had this quote, I hate failure. And that divorce was a number one failure in my eyes. It was the worst period of my life. This is the famous failure of Lucille Ball. I know that many of you like music and you like movies and you like sports. So I thought I would portray some of these to make it more relevant with you. Um, Maybe you've seen in modern times some of the latest movies that are out, especially the action films. There is this moment, that one specific moment. It's usually about 20 minutes from the end of the, the movie where the hero has fallen or the hero has failed. All is lost. There is no hope. They can't possibly succeed. But then there's this pep talk, a clue from nowhere, a crazy idea or this memory montage. And then everything seems to start turning around. Think about the last few action films that you've seen. You know that moment that's in there. Isn't it a shame that real life isn't like that? That moment. Well, perhaps for these famous failures and for us alike, it really is. Ladies and gentlemen, our famous failures. Can you put your hands together? Thank you. You are dismissed. You know, there is a a man throughout the Bible that has to be one person that defines the phrase famous failure better than anyone else. The older I get and the more mistakes that I make and failures I achieve, the more I like this guy. His name was Peter. You remember Peter? He's the one on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, Lord, man, it sure is good to be here. Why don't we build three tabernacles? We'll build one for you. We'll build one for Moses. And then we'll build one for Elijah. See, Peter was always quick to do something for God. 
Remember, Peter, he's the one that when the Roman soldiers, they came to the garden to arrest Jesus. This Peter drew out his sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus, servant of the high priest. It was a failure of his, a mistake, because Jesus then had to reach down on the ground, pick up his ear and put it back on his head. That's the Peter that I'm talking about. You remember Peter. I believe it's in Matthew 26 where Jesus predicts that the disciples will abandon him. Well, Peter is singled out and somewhat of a spotlight comes over Peter because probably he thinks he's a cut above everybody else. He stands ahead above everybody else. He's not like all of the other disciples. But just as Jesus predicted, not only did all of the other disciples fall away, but Peter specifically denied the Lord three times. In Matthew 14, 22 through 33, it might be one of Peter's most famous failures. If you have your Bible, let's go to Matthew 14, or the passages of Scripture will be on the screen. And this is what the Word of the Lord says. As soon as the meal was finished, he insisted that the disciples, that is Jesus, get into the boat and go ahead on the other side while he dismissed the people. With the crowd dispersed, he climbed to the mountain, Jesus, so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea when the wind came up against them, and they were battered by the waves. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They were scared out of their wits. They were crying, it's a ghost! Crying in terror. Jesus quickly comforted them, and he said, take courage, it is me. Do not be afraid. Now, when Jesus made this statement, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid, what he was saying was, guys, it's me, the one you've been living with. It's Jesus, the one you've been walking with. It's Jesus, the one that you've been by my side when miracle after miracle was performed. It's me, the one that we've been eating with and and, uh, camping with. It is me, Jesus. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Peter Suddenly, bold said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. So Jesus, he said one word. He said, come. I love that. One word. Come. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. And he cried, Master, save me. I'm drowning. And I love this about Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus did not hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. Then he said, faint heart, what got into you? Or ye of little faith, why do you doubt? The two of them climbed into the boat and when the wind died down or and then the wind died down, the disciples in the boat having watched the whole thing. I want you to hear that one word, having watched They didn't participate. They could only watch. Having watched the whole thing, they worshiped Jesus saying, this is it. You are God's son for sure. See, everybody in this room, if you would be honest with yourself and if I would be honest, every one of us would like to walk on water. It would be the coolest, most amazing trick that we could ever pull out of our back pocket. I love when my niece and nephew, many summers, we spend, uh, we spend that time together, and we'll be in the pool or in the ocean. And I'll tell them, I'll say, okay, Peyton and Luke, I'm about to walk on water. And so I get me a good head start. Don't act like I'm the only one that's ever tried this. You failed at it as well. And I would start maybe five or ten feet back from the pool, and I'd get me a good running start. And I would make it about a half step, and then, boom, fall flat on my face, and they would laugh because that's my life. See, Peter, he wasn't afraid to fail. There's very few people like this Simon Peter. 
that actually get out of the boat and walk on water. He wasn't afraid to fail. He realized, just like you saw in the video, that life equaled risks. He realized that, and he made audacious attempts to follow Jesus fully. And sometimes this Peter, he fell flat. His problem seemed to come not with the attempt, but with the pride of success. That was Peter's failure. In this story, Peter takes a few steps on the water, and suddenly this Peter is king of the world. He reveals Jesus' true identity. But as soon as he takes his eyes off of the Lord, that's when he became a famous failure. Now, I know that this sermon isn't a, you know, like Pentecostal hellfire and brimstone, you know, whoop glory. But I do know this, that God has a word for you today. He's got a specific word. And I want to look at the life of Peter and I want to look at the story and see how we can learn from him so that we can be successful. I want 2008 in your life to be a success. I want you to dream your biggest dream and go for it. However, to, uh, uh, in order to accomplish your dreams and plans, there are three things we get from this story and from Peter's famous failure. Now, I say this carefully, but the mistakes and failures you have made in your lifetime need not to predict your future. This is number one. Don't let your past failures predict your future. Some people handle their mistakes differently than others. I know that I do. Some people learn from their mistakes, and uh, some people lay under their mistakes for the rest of their life. As a matter of fact, some people actually allow their mistakes to become the coffin for their eternity. How do you handle your mistakes? Now, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means not you, not your wife, which you guys probably already knew, and especially husbands. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Pastor Jeff's not perfect. Pastor Allen's not perfect. We all make mistakes, but how we handle, handle them will predict our future. If we allow ourselves to dwell on the past and we allow ourselves not to get rid of some of the things and mistakes and failures that we have in the past, then that will predict our tomorrow. I believe that God sent me here to give you this very simple word from the Lord. It's so simple, it might sound elementary to you, but this is the word. And this is for those who have made past failures and mistakes. Don't look down, look up. Don't look back, look forward. Remember Lot's wife. Don't look to the left, don't look to the right. Keep your eyes on him. He is the author and the finisher of your fate. It's a simple word. You cannot allow your past failures to predict your future. See, Peter was not concerned with this, the mistakes that he had made before. He knew that if he was going down, he was going down trying. Regardless of what might have happened, he was going down trying. See, in your life and in my life alike, on one shoulder we have God. And God wants to give us the desires of our heart because he's the one that placed those desires there. But then on the opposite shoulder, we have the devil, and he's whispering in our ear. Well, remember before you met the Lord. Remember how you used to be. Remember how you used to run. Remember how you used to act. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The devil loves to remind you of your past. He never wants you to put one foot in front of the other. What he wants you to do is take a few steps forward, and then that time, many steps back. He doesn't want you to believe that you're forgiven, and there's such a thing called grace and mercy. So he begins to whisper in your ear, you can't accomplish your dreams you can't accomplish your plans because you've made bad choices in your life now this may sound preachy and i'm just going to say it anyway and some of you have heard this before but when the devil starts to remind you of your past why don't you remind him of his 
how Jesus went into hell to conquer the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And while he was there, he took a moment and he whooped the devil's tail. See, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, there were bullies in my elementary school. And I know to this day, if my bully from fifth grade walked in, my knees would begin to tremble. And the devil's knees begins to tremble every time you profess that you're a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. The devil's knees begin to tremble every time you remind him that you are forgiven. That all of those mistakes, that all of those famous failures in your life are now washed and covered by the blood of God. Can you say amen? You cannot let your past failures predict your future. Don't let it happen. And God has a great plan for you. You have great plans. Don't allow what happened yesterday to predict tomorrow. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that Jesus wants to forgive us. Now, I'm not here to give you some get out of sin free card or get out of jail free card because there are consequences for the choices you make. It's action reaction type type mentality. So there are some things that you'll have to face, but this is the truth and this is from the Lord that if you allow those past failures to predict your tomorrow, you will fail. You will fail. But if you say, okay, Lord, I realize that I have messed up and I I haven't always lived right. I haven't always lived for you. Or maybe you tried to make a business endeavor and you lost a lot of money. Or maybe you tried to go back to college and that didn't work out. Or or whatever those failures may have been. You say, Lord, I'm giving them to you because I know what tomorrow holds. And you remind me in your word in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. Can you say amen? Is this okay this morning? Yet you cannot allow your past failures to predict your future. Here's number two. Don't let the opinions of others keep you from trying. When Peter got off the boat, I guarantee that the, that the disciples stood there in total disbelief. Imagine some of the disciples when Peter got out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. He's walking there and then he begins to sink and someone says, well... I hate to say I told him so, but I told him so. You know, that Peter's always getting into trouble. Look at him. See, you cannot allow the opinions of everybody else to keep you from trying. In your life and in my life, there will be people who don't bring constructive criticism. They are naysayers, or we'll refer to them as boat dwellers, people that don't want to get off of the boat. But they want to tell you how things should be, and they want to remind you that, hey, you know what, Um, didn't you try this before? Or maybe there's a dream or a plan or a hope that you have in your life. And they begin to say, why would you want to try and accomplish that now? You're 50 or 60 or 70. I want to remind you this, that as long as there's breath in your lungs and air in your nostril, God has a plan for you. And you cannot allow the opinions of everybody else to keep you on the boat. You've got to tune out the voices that they have and tune into the voice of God. And he says, I've got a plan for your life. See, you know, the uh, reality is, is that the Bible says the spirit of, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I can guarantee you this, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord does not dwell in the mouths of the wicked. You need to be set free from what all the naysayers have to say. You need to be delivered from all the unconstructive criticism that you'll hear. You need to get liberated. Somebody say, get liberated. 
Get liberated from the words of discouragement. Put out the fire on the apathetic, or better yet, the pathetic words of demotion in your life. The only voice that you need to hear is the voice of the Lord. See, there's a lot of work to do for the kingdom of God in my life. And there's a lot of work to do for the kingdom of God in your life. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself sitting on this boat not doing anything. See, the problem is, is that many of you have amazing dreams and great plans. But you'll never even have an opportunity to fail because you're listening to everybody else already reminding you that you'll fail. So you'll never even step out on the water because you're so afraid that they might be right. Listen, the moment that you come, because when Jesus has come, it's not about you anymore. It's about faith. So when Jesus has come and you get out of the boat and walk on the water, even if you sink, you are already successful. Somebody say amen. See, Peter was afraid. He had never walked on the water before. Yes, he made the mistake and took his eyes off of Jesus. Yes, he, he got his eyes on the winds and the waves and realized, I realize all of this, but at least Peter got out of the boat. At least Peter climbed out of the boat. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Peter jumped out of the boat to get to Jesus Christ. This is my final point to you. And this is where I want you to, to really hear me on this. You need to get out of the boat. You need to get out of your boat. Walk on water. You know, when we have a desire to walk on water, it's, uh, it's one that when it's fulfilled, we never want to go back to just staying on the boat. See, the thing about Peter was there was a, a difference in his life. Those that stayed on the boat, they were religious people. Peter wanted a relationship. And Jesus said, if you want this relationship, then you have to come to me. We need to, have it. We need to take the first step. It's an action step. And Jesus said, Peter, come. So he jumped out of the boat because he didn't want religion, but he wanted this relationship with God. See, what you need to do is you need to get out of the boat and walk on water. Here's the problem with churches in America today, and not just here at South Metro Ministries, but you can drive up and down the entire cities of Noonan, Sharpsburg, and Peachtree City, and, and churches all across the country. Here's the problem with people in the churches. They are full of excuses. Excuses. And the problem is, and the older I get, the more I realize that this blood of Jesus covers it all, except your excuses and you know what your excuses are in the eyes of god and and i'll just say it and it may be blunt and I, I apologize but you know they're lame see imagine this god says come and he says i want to fulfill this plan for your life i want you to be a success i want you to, to be a famous failure because all of us have made mistakes but yet you begin to make excuses well god i can't come to you because this water is too cold i'm sorry but i don't like cold water and then the other half of us says, well, God, I can't come to you because this water's too warm, and I like my water temperature about 67 degrees. It's excuses. Well, God, you know, I would like to come to you and get out of my boat, but I just got my hair did, and I'd hate to get that messed up. So I'll just stay here right now. You know, oh, God, I'd love to come to you, but, you know, right now is just not a good time. I'm not a very good swimmer. You need to realize it's not about you. When God says, come, get out of your boat, have faith to walk on the water, and get to Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. I'm in a Pentecostal church this morning, right? I'm at South Metro Ministries, true? I want to make sure I didn't go somewhere else this morning. Listen, you've got to get out 
of your boat. Don't stay complacent. Don't stay comfortable on your boat. But get out of the boat and begin to walk on water. When you walk on water once, you'll want to keep walking on water because there's something that's contagious about it. See, God wants to use all of us in this room this morning. But you must be willing to get out of the boat. How can you be used when you stay inside of this boat? How can you be used to the fullness of God's plan if you stay inside of this boat? How can you fulfill the dreams and the plans that you have and God has for you when you stay in this boat? See, when you step out of the boat and you begin to walk on water, what happens is you leave all of your flaws on the boat. You leave all of your failures on the boat. You leave all of your misconceptions on the boat. You leave all of your past regret on the boat. My challenge to you going into 2008 and ending 2007 is get out of your boat. Get out. Walk on water. In the first service, I was pretty open, so I'll be the same with you. In my lifetime, when I die and go to heaven, and they have my funeral, and I've got my casket in the altar, and you attend my five-and-a-half-hour funeral service, and you better be there. I'm going to outlive all of you, so don't worry about it. But I want a funeral service for the ages. I don't want people laughing and telling jokes about me. I want Kimberly to feel like life is ended for her. Life cannot go on without that good-looking man. You can eat your potato salad and biscuits and gravy later or whatever they serve, but you better be boohooing over me. But when I look down from heaven at my casket, I don't ever want to think, I regret my life. If only I would have gotten out of my boat and tried this or done that or completed this or finished that, I want to look at my life and I want the Lord to look at me in the eyes and say, well done. I don't want there to be any regret. I don't want there to be any remorse. I don't want there to be anything inside of me that says, man, if I had one more chance to do it all over again, this is how I would do it. We're living in the now. And now's your opportunity to accomplish your dreams and to dream big. You got to get out of the boat. In my life, I'll go back to that second point about naysayers. There have been people that have brought a a lot of negativity towards me. I didn't grow up in a family with a thick heritage of, of preachers. As a matter of fact, as far as I remember, and through the family tree, I'm the only man or woman called into ministry. There's nobody else in my family. So when I began to tell my mom, and who was very supportive, you know, about my calling, she reminded me that there would be people who wouldn't appreciate the anointing and the calling in my life. I remember maybe even last summer or two, two summers ago, Kimberly and I, we went to Florida to visit my family, and we were sitting there at the table, and we were playing this game. Many of you guys play games, you know, on your family vacation, and the game went something like this. You were to take out a piece of paper, write on the piece of paper one thing that you felt like nobody in your family would know about you. Now, that's difficult, especially if your family's close like mine, because everybody knows everything. Well, being the comedian that I am, and I'm very funny, ask me later, and I'll tell you, I told Kimberly, I said, what a great opportunity to announce to our family that you're pregnant. Wouldn't this be great? You know, just write, I'm pregnant, and then we can announce. And she looked at me and she said, not a chance. Well, the game ended, and Kimberly decided that it would be, you know, um, something that she should share with the family. So she said this. She said, JC thought it would be fun to tell everybody that I'm pregnant. Now, this is what my brother said. God is my witness. He said, if you're pregnant, he needs a real job. He needs a real job. He needs a job that he works with his hands and makes good money. 
Man, you talk about uh, feeling like a failure. Uh, everybody in my family, by way of my brothers, they're entrepreneurs, very, very successful. All of them are very good at construction. They all paint and saw. I don't know what happened to me. Oh, man, I felt like a failure. I felt like, how, why would even my own family say this to me? And then I began to talk to Kimberly, and I began to realize that my job and my calling and my ministry is more real than almost anybody else's. See, every single week we deal with teenagers. You can applaud the Lord if you feel. Every single week we deal with teenagers that wrestle with lust of the flesh. It wasn't too long ago Kimberly and I visited the hospital of a 15-year-old girl who had a, a baby boy. It wasn't too long ago that in my office sat a young girl about 16 or 17. She lifted up her shirt sleeves and there was slit on her wrist where she tried to take her own life. It wasn't too long ago that we found out of a few teenagers that had been raped within our own youth ministry and they attend there. I mean, what, what's going on with the society today? My job is real. And you know what I thought? I'm not going to stay on the boat and allow somebody not to let me be who God called me to be. The day, my salvation day was uh, most different than others. The day that I got saved was the same day I got called into the ministry and filled with the Holy Ghost. And on that day, I called my mom in tears and told her what had happened and wasn't sure what had happened. I'd gr gr grown up in a, uh, a Baptist background, so I wasn't even quite familiar with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she said, well, we need to go see my pastor. I wasn't really affiliated with any church at the time. And so I began to explain my calling and explain what I felt. And I asked him about education. I said, you know, nobody in my family has ever graduated from college. I think maybe only one or two has even attended college. And he looked at me and he said, JC, he said, the edu education will never compare to the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's on your life. But he said, education is another tool in your hand when you're fighting the devil. Go get your education. Now, this is where my promise to you in 2008 comes in. I have no regrets. There were some naysayers in our life when Kimberly and I decided to get married because of our age and financial stability. And we thought you only need love to make it. Ain't that right, baby? <laughs> you know, but after many, after many nice purses and many fingernails being done, we realized that you do need money to live. But there were naysayers that said, you know, you shouldn't get married. You should wait. You know, don't do this. Don't do that. And then I was reminded of the word of the Lord that said, what God has put together, let no man Yes. So we, we begin to get married and I have no regrets whatsoever. She is so blessed to have a husband like me. And I am so blessed to have a wife like her. I believe that the day that we said I do, when she said I do, that moment I became the completion to her ministry. When I said I do, she became the completion of my ministry. And together we are effective in full-time ministry. When I was at Lee, uh, it, wasn't, it was a few years after I was at Lee, I had one year left to graduate. My grades were pretty decent. I was actively involved in campus choir out of Lee University. I was president of our Greek social service club there. Uh, uh, life was good. And then one day in a church service on, a, on an August evening, this pretty little girl walked in the building. My whole world flipped upside down. I no longer was concerned about algebra and English and rhetoric and research. The only thing I was concerned about was putting a smile on that pretty little face. That was my concern. That was my desire. And so, you know, uh, Kimberly and I, we talked about marriage, and it wasn't, we only dated maybe, a, I don't even know if a month, maybe a little after a month. And I looked at her and I said, Kimberly, you know that I'm going to marry you. And she said, you're absolutely crazy. I'm marrying my dad. <laughs> the next day she didn't call, didn't return the phone calls. But then I believe that the Lord spoke to her heart 
and said, yes, this is the man that I've created just for you. So, you know, we decided that we need to go get married. And again, I have no regrets. And I'm not just saying that. We honestly, we have a wonderful, happy marriage. And I look forward to spending the rest of my life with her. I can't wait till we uh, grow old together and have gray hair. And, you know, she's, a, she's a, a master cosmetologist. So she can just put some, you know, men's whatever on my head and I'll look good. But I left Lee University with one year to graduate. One year to graduate. And, you know, since then, it's been a number of years now. And isn't it amazing how time flies? You know, it's only been uh, maybe four years since I left Lee. And how the devil reminds me often that I failed, that I didn't finish, that I didn't complete what I had started, and that I would never be successful, that I was a failure just like others in my family. I was a dropout. And I, really, I began to wrestle with that. And I began to tell the Lord, you know, it's something that I, I want to do. I, I knew that you, you told me to marry Kimberly, and I'm so thankful for that. But I, I want to finish school. You know, it's amazing in life when time does fly that you look back and you think to yourself, how do we get here? Where did the time go? You know, maybe for your life, um, when you were a teenager, you wrote down some things that you wanted to do some things that you wanted to be, some things you wanted to achieve. And then for whatever reason, maybe financially, or maybe it was by way of family, you put those things on hold, and you haven't completed those things yet. And now you feel, you know what, I'm too old, I'm too tired, I have no time, I can't do it. Let me be, let me be a, a messenger from the Lord to say, you can succeed. And you need to get out of your boat and go accomplish those great things in 2008. Go do what your heart has a desire to do. Don't let people stand in the way. Don't let your past mistakes stand in the way. You need to get out of your boat and accomplish the extraordinary. If God has placed it in your heart, you need to go do it. So this is my promise to you in 2008. I don't care if I have to work at some ice cream shop and put bananas on banana splits. I will find a way to go back to school in 2008. And what I want you to do... What I want you to do is before you even leave here today, try and remember what it is that you felt like you've always wanted to do. So the day that you die and you're, you're looking up from the heavens and you look down, you can say as well, I have no regrets. You know, a lot of you, you come to me and complain about the laziness of your children and how they have no motivation and no uh, self-employment and they, they just sit around. They have no goals. They have no dreams. And then I wonder, is it because they see your life and how you didn't finish and how you push and push and push but they look at their role model and there's nothing to be modeled after and you know what do this not only for you but do it for your family go back to school you know what open up the business i believe that somebody in here many many years ago you were called into ministry but you never took that step of faith out of the boat this is your year Get a degree. There's doctors in this room that never completed school. There's lawyers in this room. There's school teachers, and you're only a few credits short. Let 2008 make it happen. You know, some of you are saying, and I feel it in my heart right now, Pastor JC, it is impossible. You don't know my situation. I stand on Philippians 4.13 that tells me that I can do all things through Christ. Because he gives us the strength, and through him all things are possible. Dream big. This is your year. You know, the amazing thing about these famous failures, maybe the only one that was even saved was Abraham Lincoln. But they didn't allow their past failures to determine their tomorrow. They, they went for it anyway. 
They didn't allow the opinions of everybody else to keep them from their dreams and from their goals. They got out of their boat. They dreamed big. And they were successful. That's your life too. This is your year. Your year. You know, the number eight, and I believe Pastor Jeff mentioned it earlier, but the number eight means new beginnings. For some of you, it means that you get to, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to start something new, but you get to finish something old. This is your year. Will you stand to your feet with me real quick? And I want to sing that song one more time, and then I'm going to pray for you, and you're dismissed in the name of the Lord. We love you, Jesus. Yes, God. I'll do what you want me to do. And I'll say.